This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Live commentary. Uh, ball back with companion centre of the field. I hope he plays a long raking pass. He doesn't. <laughs> it's found Dobby. Oh, again, he's tried to... Have you got a word for those short passes? Well, I've got a word for that short pass, but um, <laughs> I better not say it. Live interviews. Yeah, I think that's where we'll be for, for the foreseeable future. You know, we're working on some interesting things there. And um, I think that redeveloping, redeveloping it bit by bit is probably going to be our best option. Expert analysis. Hello and welcome to a special Homestyle Radio mini podcast. My name is Chris Hambling and I'm salivating for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Well, most of the time, anyway. Homesdale Radio. Hello, and welcome to a very positive Homesdale Radio, a history-making Homesdale Radio, as this weekend, Palace confirmed their place in next season's Premier League with a 1-0 win away at West Ham. That ensured we finished the week with a maximum six points after beating Everton 3-2 at Goodison on Wednesday night. Almost four years ago, Palace travelled to Sheffield Wednesday knowing that a loss would mean League One football and potential liquidation. When George Burley took over a few months later, we had 12 professionals at the club. A few years down the line, we're mid-table in the Premier League and the strongest we've been in a long, long time. What Steve Parrish, Steve Browett, Martin Long and Jeremy Hosking have done cannot be understated. Tonight, we'll discuss the goings-on in the last week and ask if there's any limit to the dream. With Tony Pulis at the helm, how far can we realistically go? We'll also discuss Spygate, parts one and two, and we speak to a very special and very secret guest. Joining me tonight, I have, live from New York, and making his second appearance after a brilliant debut last week, Patrick O'Connor. Cheers there, Ben. Good afternoon, everyone. Tony Piers. Evening, all. And taking all your tweets in the contact hub, Tom Pantit. Why, I Pep. Now, to start the show, here's this week's news in brief. Everybody's got a hungry emo. Get involved with the show. Email radio at homestyle.net or call us on 0208 1234 098. Homestyle Radio. Voices for Palace Watch. Faces for Crime Watch. All the latest news from around Selhurst Park. This is News in Brief. Homestyle Radio are searching for next season's station sponsor following a successful year with complete signs. If you or your company are interested in this opportunity to reach a quarter of a million Palace fans next season, then email contact at hlradio.net for further information. 
The annual Robert Eaton Memorial Fund Challenge match is coming up on Friday the 2nd of May at Lewis Dripping Pan Stadium. The game, Crystal Palace supporters versus Brighton supporters, is in aid of Robert Eaton, a Brighton fan who sadly died in the 9-11 Twin Towers disaster. The game kicks off at 7.45 and is £5 entry for adults and £2 for 16s, or free if they're with a paying adult. To find out more about the fund, you can visit www.remf.org.uk. Crystal Palace defender Jack Hunt was forced off with a, what appeared to be a hamstring injury for a club loan Barnsley against Charlton Athletic on Tuesday night. The right back had only been on the field for less than half an hour after coming on at the break and hobbled off in frustration. Despite hitting Brentford for six last week, Palace's under-21 side have missed out on the place in the under-21 Professional Development League playoffs due to results elsewhere. London rivals QPR snatched a runner-up spot from the under the Eagles' noses by beating <laughs> Millwall 3-1 on Monday afternoon. Helped by a brace by former Palace hitman Andy Johnson to finish ahead of Gary Izzett's side by a single point. Homestar Radio have a new Twitter account for all your Palace and football vines and videos. Start following at Palace Vines on Twitter and send us your favourite vines about Palace and other videos. We'll update it with all the winning goals from Palace matches and as it stands during the game. And finally, Homestar Radio are happy to announce that the Homestar Online and the BBS are teaming up to present the award for Young Player of the Year at the forthcoming club award ceremony on the 6th of May at Fairfield Halls. Homesdale.net will be hosting the vote, which launched this afternoon, sorry. You have until Friday the 25th to get your votes in, and your nominees are 24-year-old Joel Ward, 23-year-old Stuart O'Keefe, 24-year-old Yannick Balassi, and 23-year-old Dwight Gale, so therefore the not-so-young player of the year. Nevertheless, cast your votes now. News in Brave. www.wholeradio.net slash blog Like the radio show, but it's a blog Now my favourite bit of news in brief um, was when Tony said Eagles' noses um, So, producer Mike, if we can clip that, that'd be, that'd be great um, Welcome back to the show um, I'm Ben Nagel, as well, I didn't mention that in my, uh, my intro So that is me, and I'm joined again by the, the blokes that I mentioned before to discuss Everton uh, from Wednesday night and then West Ham yesterday. So, a couple of fantastic wins, I think it's fair to say. Um, and we'll start, as usual, with the, the first of those games, which is Everton. Um, obviously, a, a long trip up there, not just on Wednesday night, but in February as well. Um, we discussed that quite a lot on the show before, that farcical situation where um, we were travelling. Well, Chris and I were travelling, I don't know about any other lads, but uh, yeah, 16 hours uh, up there and back for the first time and then pretty much the same again. I know I travelled... Uh, over 33 hours to get to that game so um, really worth the three points when we got there um, but we'll start at the very beginning um, and I'll ask the, the lads on their thoughts but obviously the the game uh, the, well the rescheduled game the actual one that did take place took place uh, a day after the 25 year Hillsborough um, the anniversary of that which was pretty pretty moving to be up there actually for that um, I think it'd be wrong of us to, to do a radio show about that game and, and not mention that whole uh, disaster that happened 25 years ago in 1989 Um as I say, yeah, travelling the day after the anniversary was pretty poignant. I mean, driving past Anfield and and seeing uh, you know everything that that happened and you know seeing that the, the scarves laying outside Anfield, which it didn't happen in Liverpool, of course, but but it's a, it's a massive part of of what Liverpool was going to become. I mean, Hillsborough, you, you you immediately sort of associate with that. So, Tony, I'll come to you first. Um, you know, I know you watched the, the game on telly, so you obviously saw the. The th- what happened before the game, the tribute and the, the minutes applause, what were your thoughts on it? 
I thought, um, as I mentioned, uh, I've been it's very, very well done. Um, obviously, it's quite a uh, difficult subject. Uh, it was a tragedy what happened. Uh, and I think the tributes and everything that's happened over this sort of weekend and, you know, starting the game slightly later, I think it's been excellent um, and a fitting tribute to to what was a really bad situation. Yeah, starting the game seven minutes late uh, the weekend before, I forgot to mention as well, was, was obviously a very nice touch from, from the Premier League as well. So, yeah, and, and you have to say the minutes applause was impeccably observed by the Palace fans as well. Um, for those who, who didn't see the what happened at, at Goodison Park on, on that night, um, they had red and blue Obviously, Liverpool and Everton flat uh, scarves, sorry, uh, all the way along the pitch with with kids holding them out and uh, played a song, and then the, a few you know parents of of the people who died that were there, and it was all just sort of very moving. And Patrick, I'll, I'll come to you next. You mentioned that ESPN have, have had a, a terrific documentary. Yes, um, over here, um, ESPN has done a documentary on the Hillsborough disaster. And for those who didn't know about it over here. It was quite interesting because their viewpoint was basically getting toward they did it based on the whole cover up by the police. So um, people who just only heard about, you know, the Liverpool side and what allegedly happened with the fans got a much better viewpoint. And it was very well done. And, um, you know, it was 25 years. It doesn't seem as it was seem as even that it was that long ago. Mm, it's I mean, amazing. Yeah, obviously you live in America, Patrick. Um, over the last few years, as everything's been going on with the, you know, um, the inquest and things like that, has there been a lot of coverage over there, or is it just sort of recently? No, definitely more 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 recently. Um, over here, you know, what happens is they tend to cover stories that involve the bigger clubs. So obviously, you hear a lot about Manchester United, Liverpool, right. Manchester City, that kind of thing. But no, the story only really broke. The in- interest in the story only broke really the last uh, few months so that's why the documentary was so good because people who just hadn't really heard what went on that long ago got a really really good um uh perspective on what really happened right okay and tom what are your thoughts on on the whole thing that happened yeah it was very humbling um as as the other guys have said already despite the sort of history between liverpool and everton um it's quite a lot of their fan base must have been affected or know someone who was affected so it was really nice and a very classy way to deal with it um bill kenwright was at the memorial uh that day or i think it was the day before and apparently gave a very gave a very sort of moving speech so it's nice to see the city come together on that one and put football rivalry aside because because as you know it's you know it was just a group of fans attending a game it could have been anyone at any game it just happened to be liverpool fans sadly so yeah very classy very well done Mm, yeah, Brendan Rodgers was at Goodison Park as well, so sort of returned the favour by by attending that game the next day and, and you know and going through that as well. So yeah, fantastic. And we'll we'll move on from that now and, and talk more about the game and, and the lineup. Obviously, that is what what we're here to talk about. Um, the lineup in itself, uh, only one change. Shamak came in for Dickershaw, who was out with a hamstring injury. Um, so that really would have been you know the one change that people would have expected. Um, Ledley moved back into central defensive midfield with with Jednak. Um, personally. Um, that is the team I, I would pick regardless. Um, I, I, I really like Joe Ledley playing in that position. That is where, well, that is the position that we've seen him before for, for Celtic and things like that. So that is what I do. And, and Dick Joy, as much as I've, I've slated him in the past, I know I have, but you know he's a capable Premier League player. But I would rather have, have Ledley in there. I know some people probably wouldn't agree with that. But Tony, what do you think about the, the lineup? Shamak in for Dick Joy. Right, brilliant, fantastic. It's nice that you uh, you answered that, Patrick. I'll, I'll move on to you. What do you think about it? Um, I think 
it's fortuitous is what I'll say. It's funny that KG gets hurt before the Everton game because, to be honest with you, Shamak for Everton sets up much better for us the way that Everton play. We weren't going to get a lot of the ball. So the way that Shamak plays, um, his, his touches, for instance, or, you know, I won't get to that yet, but the way he set up that, that, the first goal, for instance, he's perfect for us. And to have Bledi drop back deeper then and you know, play against that kind of a midfield was really worked out for us. So I really think that you know, not having KG actually worked out perfectly and then getting him back for West Ham game again, I worked out, we'll talk about that later on, but I think it really worked out for us to have Shamak in for that particular match. Okay, Antonio, you ignored me a minute ago. Are you ready to speak now? No, yeah, we, we have a little, we have a chat um, that we we say when we want to make. Don't give away the trade secrets. And uh, Tony just uh, claimed in there that he, uh, he wanted to speak and then hasn't spoken again, so that's good. Um, Tom, I will obviously come to you next then and, and ask for your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, similar to Patrick, really. I think the inclusion of Shimak gave a small bite in attack. Um, I think with KG in the pitch, we definitely wouldn't have been capable of scoring three goals, and that's the way that we did. Um, so in some ways it was a blessing in disguise. That's not to say KG's a bad player, um, but I don't think he's been performing at his best recently. Um, he's had some good games, but I- I'm thinking back, you know, uh, the sort of peak times that we saw at the beginning of last season and the, the year before that. Um, so yeah, it was it was a, 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 a lucky move that we could do that. And I think Shemak, when he has come on, has been in such good form that he was really almost deserving of the starting place anyway. Yeah, Chris mentioned Chris mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he thought Shamak looked world class when he came off the bench, but and obviously does deserve a, a starting place. But when you think about, you know, we, at that point we'd won three in a row, but going into that game fourth, I mean, can you can you change it tactically? Obviously, it, it was the change was made because of an injury. Um, but whether that change would have been made off the back of three wins uh, had Dickerson not been injured is, is a different matter, I think. Tony, third time lucky. Can you hear me now? I can. Yes. Yay! Um, I was going to say that the, the, the point you made about Ledley being um, defensive mid definitely is best position. I think the one thing that Ledley gives us over Dickertroy, uh, I notice it quite a lot, is that Ledley can get forward a lot better while playing in that defensive mid role. Um, you know, there was a number of times he went up, he was setting up play up the other end, you know, up in their end of the field, um, which I don't think um, KG does. KG's very good at the defensive part of being a defensive midfield, but he doesn't really do the box-to-box as well as Ledley does. And I think having um, Jednak as the guy who stays back as a holding midfielder and having Ledley going forwards and backwards works well. OK, yeah, well, I think they definitely offer offer different things um, in that position. Obviously, Dickertor and Lillia are different players. Dickertor is big, he's strong, he, he does exactly what is necessary in there. Him and Jednak quite similar, actually. Uh, Tom, I'll come to you your thoughts on that yeah we've had some uh, tweets and comments in as always you can get in contact us on a uh, at whole radio on twitter and also on the chat room at whole radio.net forward slash chat um we had sheldon underscore ct chipping and thinks that the everton game was one of the best performances he's seen from a palace side since our glory days of the 1991 season and uh, we also gary one two three tweet and say that he, he agrees that that was our best 11 but um as uh, we'll get to talk about this more later but he thought kg was great yesterday but when we have Chewbacca in the team we are better in his opinion Mm, it's a difficult one. I mean, at the moment, it doesn't seem to matter because uh, whoever we play, we win, um, which is a, a nice feeling. I didn't think that would be the case, you know, even at Christmas. So uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic feeling. Tony, what are your thoughts? I think having Shamak and uh, Ledley as a defensive mid, we actually look like an attack 
attacking force. I think because because of the points I mentioned earlier, I think um, having KG there as, as, as good as he played uh, yesterday, I think we we tend to defend a lot more and we end up you know with the one nils that yeah it's good to keep a clean sheet and be very tight defensively. But I think having Ledley gives us much more in attacking. And the game you know you have to look the two games that he's um, he's been in that defensive role and KG's been out of the team. We've scored more goals. Mm. Okay, and Patrick, you got some thoughts on that? Yeah, just regarding Shamak, I. And I, watching the game, I'm amazed at his work rate um, when he plays uh, behind Jerome. He's all over the place. He works so hard. He tackles, which I've, I've seen him play in the past. I didn't even know he knew how to tackle, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And his, his skill level, his, his speed of thought when he, when he gets the ball, his passing, it's, it's, it's another, another, another level. And as far as Ledley is concerned, Ledley really does bring a lot to playing with, with Jedi. He holds the ball up very, very well. And his passing is very well. And he does get in the box. The only thing I'm concerned with me is that when he gets in the box, a lot of his shots don't exactly hit the back of the net. But he does get forward a lot, which is really pleasing to see. Mm, yeah, I'd agree. And I have to say about Shamak as well, he's coming for a lot of stick. Um, obviously, when he made the move from Arsenal, he was completely out of favour with Arsene Wenger. You know, but he had to. He got bought by Arsene Wenger for a reason because he was fantastic yep. in France. And, and you know, I think he, he in the next couple of seasons, if, if and I hope he does stay with Palace, um, he'll get better and better and, and really nail down that, that starting position. I think he, he would as well had it not been for injury. He'd be playing week in, week out, and it's a shame that he's not. Um, but a couple of those points that you guys made there moved me on quite nicely to the next point. Um, one of the, the, the first tweet that you read out, Tom, said about um, the best we've played for, for a long, long time, and I, I was going to put it out there as well. The first half especially was the best 45 minutes I've ever seen us play away from home. You know, I've, I've been to, to quite a few away games now. I'd have to say that we were just fantastic. Loads of early pressure. And another point that somebody mentioned as well, it looked like we were going for three points. We weren't going to to top, top four time, team sorry, looking for a draw. We went there and we wanted to win it. Tom? Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, that's something that Tony Pulisic will bring in. This, you know, give a go every game. Not going to go there and think, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll give it a try. And if if we get beat, so what? We're actually going there thinking, you know, we can we can get some points here. Let's not settle for the draw. Let, let's go at them. Um, so just touching on the sort of the performance, we've had Andy A in the chat room uh, say that he was thought that it was uh, no, sorry, I apologise. It's Robert CPFC in the chat room said that he was surprised that we won, but it's been the best game he's seen from us himself personally. Uh, and then Andy A said he's been talking to his Everton mates before the game and that we do it against them and he, he definitely thought Everton were favourites to win we all did um, but we, we really showed ourselves up in a good way so yeah mm. well to be honest I went there I predicted that Everton would win 2-0 they were seven, they've won 7 games on the bounce unbeaten at Goodison Park since the, the turn of the year and we've gone there and we've, we've turned them over it's fantastic Tony. It, was our, it was our Chris Hamblin there wasn't it yeah exactly home sales Chris Hamblin psychic <laughs> Tony I, I, I've got to agree. I think we, we played absolutely amazingly. Um, you know, as, as we mentioned, probably the best performance I've seen certainly this year. Um, so, you know, because we're being far too positive, which is unlikely, apparently, uh, I'd just like to say the only negative point about it is the fact that it allowed Arsenal to um, sneak back into the Champions League spot, <laughs> which I was hoping that they wouldn't. And, and that is the only negative. Uh, says a lot about that. Performance. I know we do have a tendency... Um, to be a little bit negative on the show, but I think uh, I don't think we could be any more positive. I want to say as well, um, when Tony Pulis came in, a lot was made of his defensive record, and that still stands with Palace. Obviously, we have, we don't concede a lot of goals. But one of my worries personally when t- when Tony Pulis came in was that we'd be too defensive and we'd lose all that attacking prowess. But Patrick, do you think that that he's made us more attacking, if anything? Yeah, I really think he has. Um, his 
his idea, obviously, when he came in was to obviously make us more solid defensively, which he absolutely did. But like last year, um, we are a very good counter-attacking team. We don't have Wilf anymore. But the development of, of Yannick has been unbelievable, especially in the last eight or nine games. And I think the fact that we counter-attack so well has just added so much to the way that we play. Um, punching has been you know, unbelievable. And again, like I said, the, we just really counter-attack and can score. And if we don't score, we don't let anybody else score. So we're not, we know it's hard for us to lose matches. So we really have. I just love the way Pulis has brought in that whole attitude of, of defensively solid, catch teams on the counter-attack. Don't worry about how much we have the ball, but when we have the ball, do something positive with it. It's, it's been phenomenal. It really has been. Mm, it's working perfectly. And you genuinely feel like when you go into a game as a Palace fan, we can beat anyone or we can get you know points against anyone. Going into these next two games against City and Liverpool at Sellers, you you just think we're not going to... I personally don't think we're going to roll over and concede six points there because we've got enough to, to get something out of those games, whether it's a, a nil-nil draw. I mean, to be honest, I don't really care. Just I, I do think we can get something out of them. Tony, what, what's your point on that? I was, I was watching the game at the, um, in the pub myself with friends and um, you know the, the look on people's faces when that third goal went in was almost like, you know, you almost had to picture, are we really watching Crystal Palace? Like, oh, you know, you can almost see some people just going, oh, it's all right, we're... We'll probably lose this anyway, just because the way we are. It was just some people were shocked at you know the the way we were playing. We were defending well. We were attacking well. It was it was fantastic. And um, I think genuinely that City and Liverpool must be absolutely bricking it at the moment because to come to Sellers Park, last two games at home for us, you know our fans are rocking the place out. You know we 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 don't concede many. We're actually looking attacking as well. They must be thinking, God, we need the other team to. Um, drop points so we could you know so that we can potentially win the league but what are we going to do because if we drop points there we could potentially concede the league so they they must be absolutely dreading coming to Sellers Park for those two games yeah things have changed so much as well because if you look at man I say 6 months ago you're getting all the retweets coming through now on a daily basis of people retweeting how how people doubted us earlier in the season and it's great to look back at those and um, but yeah I really think now you know, Liverpool and Man City fans aren't going into the game thinking, all right, it's Palace, that'll be three points. Because it just doesn't work that way. Everton fans, when we were going there, I think they were more than confident they were going to win the game. You know, especially as as I mentioned before, seven wins on the bounce, unbeaten at Goodison Park since the end of 2013. And, you know, there's no way they're expected to lose that record against Palace. But, yeah, Patrick, you can be proud to be a Palace fan at the moment. I've noticed a lot more shirts around Croydon and Bromley at the yeah, moment. I was, so there's a real I was, vibe. Yeah, I live in Eastbourne. I was walking around and saw two or three the other day, and that's Brighton territory, so... Patrick, yeah, um, it's it's just funny. What was our biggest complaint at the beginning of the year? How we don't beat any of the top teams, and ever since we beat Chelsea, we've got a totally new feeling about how good we played. I mean, look at how poorly Man United played against Everton today, and we beat that same team three to two because Everton is a very very good team, and we mm. really took it to them. And I can't remember the last time Crystal Palace were able to go away against a side of that quality and just beat them. Uh, you know, it was it was amazing. It's just great to see. And you're right. That feeling of being a Palace supporter is just so amazing at, the, at right now. It's a, it's like last year at the playoff final. It's just it's just a, you just feel so proud to walk around and know you're a Palace fan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Ben, I've got to interrupt you. Go on. Brighton don't have a territory. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good uh, point. Look, judging by the amount of uh, Brighton shirts I see down in Eastbourne, <laughs> I, I'd argue they do. That. Is it is it the public laboratories around? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clapham Ray, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. all I have to say, all season, you know, up until the Chelsea game, I was saying we are due a scalp against a big team because 
you look around all the teams down the bottom half of you know have got taken points off off one of them you know at some point in the season and we hadn't um but now we've taken six points off them so uh I'm very happy with that and, and could potentially get more in the next couple of weeks. We'll move on slightly um, and talk about uh, the game as a whole, really. Um, just and start yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I've had a couple of uh, comments from the chat room regarding uh, sort of this new palace, as you're saying, you know, this positive and upbeat. Um, we had, oh, I've lost it, sorry, now where are we going? Da, 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 da. We had, uh, apologies if I pronounced this wrong, uh, Unectes said we might not even be favourites for relegation next year. How unshocking is that going to be? And can we sort of take this sort of positivity that we, you know, we're not used to this? How are we going to cope as, a, as Palace fans normally expecting the worst when we're, uh, we're doing so well at the moment? It's a yeah, that's the thing, because we're, we're the underdogs, aren't we? You know, even in the championship, we were favourites to get relegated. So you just think, if if we're not favourites to go down next season, might we go down? That's the only thing that we thrive on that pressure. Um, One thing I'm disappointed about, you know, mid-table is just boring. You know, don't want it. <laughs> you are literally the only Palace fan that thinks that, Tony. Right, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, a couple of players specifically um, that that had great points during that game, and those two are Balassi and, and Speroni. I've got just a couple of points written down here. Um, Balassi afterwards scored our first hit the post and I thought he was excellent all game and uh, and Spironi a couple of those saves I mean it seems to happen on a game by game basis now um, I just think he's he's definitely getting better with age we've spoken about it loads on, on the radio show in the last few weeks so we won't dwell too much on it but, but the save down low to his left from Lukaku was world class and then there was one um, from Barkley in the second half as well, which was you know, saved with his feet almost, almost nearly, you know, as miraculous as the first one. So, Patrick, I want to get your thoughts. I know you, you uh, said about him last week, so if you could just further your point a little bit about Speroni. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still amazed. Like I said, I was not a big, the biggest fan of Jules. Um, no particular reason. I just thought we probably could got, could have got another goalie. But he's been unbelievable. And what I like about him is that he always, you can always point to about two or three big saves during every single win we've had um, in the last four or five matches. And if he hadn't made those saves, it's a different match. So uh, he's, been, he's been so good. And again, like I said last week, I'm not sure what put it down to him. I heard, I heard his interview again on TalkSport with, uh, with, um, with Durham. And he mentioned again he hasn't heard from the Argentina manager, which I find to be amazing that he hasn't even gotten a phone call to say, you know, you know, we're looking at you. So mm. that, that's amazing to me. I, I really don't understand that. And just quickly to Yannick. I mean, Yannick's improvement has been phenomenal. But I go back to the Swansea match, the second half especially. Um, he played so well in that match, the one when Glenn scored the penalty kick. And he's the one that actually you know, created that play when uh, Jerome Thomas took that dive. And I think he's, since, he's, since that match, he really has gone, on, gone to a different level. And his play on the right side has been... I mean, with the way he just blew by Baines on, on, that, on that first goal for that cross was just ridiculous. And he's really played so well. And as someone said, we mentioned before in, in, the, in the pre-show, I just hope we sign him to a new contract because we can't afford to lose him. Mm, yeah, I was a bit a bit sceptical about Blassett at the start of the season, actually. I, you know, I'm the first to admit that. I wasn't sure he was Premier League you know, quality, but he's, he's certainly proved me wrong. He's uh, proven a lot of other people wrong as well because you know, there's, there's people sniffing around him, you'd have to say, and hopefully we can get a new deal tied down. And on that point, uh, going back to Speroni, Steve Parrish has said loads of times in the past, as has Tony Pulis, um, the contract talks will begin when we've secured our place in the Premier League. That's done. So surely, sure. imminently, you'd have to say that, that we're going to be sitting down and, and trying to thrash out new contracts with some of our best players because if we lose them, then uh, then we, we look like we could be in trouble. But I'm, I'm pretty confident that we'll hold on to them. Tony, you had quite a, a big point about Speroni and, and the World Cup squad. 
Yeah, I basically, <clears throat> I think if he doesn't go to the World Cup, it's it's, it's just an absolute joke. It just, it, I, 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 I wouldn't be able to believe it, to be honest. I mean, we've, we've mentioned it in the past that Argentina's goalkeepers consist of two bench warmers and a guy who plays, and their third choice is, is a Boca Juniors player. So, you know, I've, I've, I'll stand by my words and I personally think if Argentina don't win the World Cup, it's because they haven't taken Spironi with them. Hmm. Okay, and Tom? Um, yeah, Andy A in the chat room is sort of uh, agreeing with what you guys said. He's um, He's been really impressed how George has come along since our new goalkeeping coach. I think it's George Wood. Am I correct in yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. Um, and he's saying, like, you know, before he was being criticised for not uh, coming off his line, he's doing it now. Um, he's commanded his box so much better. So he's, he's really stepped his game up as in a similar way, as you were saying, Ben, to uh, Yalla. I mean, the career trajectory he's had in the last year, 18 months, is, is just phenomenal. Um, he if you think about it, I mean, he wasn't even getting a game at Bristol City and now he's showing that with a bit of belief and uh, the right coaching behind him, he can be an absolute uh, top quality winger in the Premier League. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really want that guy to sign a new contract and Jules too. So hopefully the board are, are starting that process now and we've got nothing to worry about coming the summer. But isn't that a nice feeling though? To be actually worried that we're going to be losing our best players, not thinking we need to sign someone to replace him because he's he's not good enough. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Um, yeah, on on that Speroni point, I know Patrick, you were involved in in the conversation last week about um, the difference that that Speroni's had. You know, whether it was Hennessy's influence, whether it was the World Cup squad, whether it was George Wood, and I know that you mentioned last week about George Wood and and how you know Speroni's a lot more confident now. He's coming out for crosses, he's claiming things, and I think that's that's got to be part of the reason why he's been so brilliant. We'll, uh, I, we'll move. Yeah, go on. I go on. So real quick, I agree. And just going back to the interview again, he actually said that signing of Hennessy had nothing to do with it. He just said that he's actually a professional, and he said, "Why would signing another goalie influence how I how I train, how I play?" Uh, you know. So that's interesting that he actually takes it upon himself that he's gotten better based on himself, not on you know signing another goalie. So that's what I thought it out there too. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, we will talk more about man of the match later on. Um, but Tom, I'll come to you quickly for a few. Uh, comments on that yeah so uh, Paul uh, at the Wild Sea on Twitter um, agrees with us and says uh, Balassi was man the match with Jules and uh, Jedi close behind him uh, Brad uh, Cab has gone for a slightly different one he's gone to Scott Dan once again he says he's been another leader on the pitch this um, and then we've also got uh, Chris Hambling sent a tweet in saying Ben appears to be speaking in a deeper voice than normal has his voice finally broken um <laughs> <laughs> I thought Chris was having a week off. He's just sitting at home listening uh, to the show, wondering wondering why he's not on it. I thought he had family round. Is he listening? He's got his whole family round to listen he's, to he's, probably, he's probably got his phone out listening to it while he's uh, eating his Sunday lunch or eating right. something. <laughs> Let's talk about some goals, shall we? Because uh, we did score three of them after all, and I think it would we'd be doing it a disservice if we didn't give them quite quite a big chat. So first of all, um, we'll talk about them all wrapped into one punching uh, pure class. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about England. I know, I know, you guys. Uh, have your views on this but you know what are the chances of, of him going to the World Cup because I was looking at some odds he's down as uh, to as little as 16 to 1 with some bookies which I know isn't fantastic but you look at some of the other players that are further down and they're ones that have been spoken about but punching really hasn't been mentioned but you know when players are on form it, it's got to be considered from, from, you know by, by Roy Hodgson and I have to say as well I've got found a stat he scored more goals than Andros Townsend Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and James Milner put together and all three of those are, are likely if not definite to, to be on that plane so um, yeah, I'd have to ask, uh, t- well, Tony, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts on punching? He does just seem to get better and better. Um, I think he's, he's, put, he's put aside uh, that penalty miss 
um, and then he's slight dip in form and he's just come back stronger and he's it's it's a good shout to say I've, I've, a number of people have, uh, I've spoken to have said you know Punchin is he going to be in the England squad he, he won't get into it we know that you know the, the England squad if, if he if he'd done this all season he'd been like this all season then he might be in with a shout but it's 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 been for the last couple of weeks you know last month or two that he's really become good and if if he continues this until the end of the season you know, especially because we are playing Man City and Liverpool. And if he has a big influence in those two games, no doubt, you know, Roy Hodgson might be looking at those games because they're big, high-profile games and think, well, actually, maybe I'll look into it. But I, I think it's going to come down to, in, if he gets in, it will purely be because there's other players that are injured, not based on merit, which is which is sad to say, but it's the way that England's always been. They, they, they don't pick players that are on form, they pick because of the name. Mm, no, I'd agree. And if Punchin is to get anywhere near that side, not saying he will, then they are the games that will have to do it because Roy Hodgson will be watching those Man City and Liverpool games. Probably not for Jason Punchin, for you know, for the likes of you know Man City and Liverpool players. But you'd have to say if he does impress and if he's you know above and beyond a lot of other players on that pitch, who knows? Eh? Who knows what could happen? Um, Joel Ward's about, another one. Yeah, exactly. I think I was listening to Talksport yesterday actually, and uh, a Palace fan came on. And he said that he was. Uh, absolutely, you know, fully fully confident that Joe Ward will be England's right back in in four or five years. So, you know, where he can go is you know is credit to himself as well because he's been brilliant since he joined Palace. Um, I want to talk about the goal specifically. So, uh, Tom, I'm going to come to you for your thoughts on it if you don't mind. Yeah, um, all the three goals were sort of well taken from what they were. I mean, Punchins was great. His finishing's just improved so much over the last few weeks. Um, it really, it's an opportunity came to him and he took it. Um, Cameron Jerome's goal. At first, I thought it was a bit soft, but actually, on repeated viewing, it just took quite a lot of skill to sort of bend the ball in that way. Um, it's just pleasing to see a score more than you know more than a goal, or you know, and you have to rely on a penalty for a game. Um, as we said before, like you know, when Pulis came in, obviously his first job was to sort of stop us leaking goals. Then it was to sort of you know make sure that we're we're actually getting into the games and uh, competing. And now it all seems to be this is the final step and actually going forward and uh, looking like an attacking threat. And in the last couple of games, we really have done. So uh, yeah, very very positive. I can't wait to see what would happen if we uh, manage to get a prolific striker in the summer, or uh, you know if Murray sort of gets his back up to fitness and carries on his form from last season. It would be it would be scary to think mm. of a Palace team that good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're getting better and better every week, I, I personally think. And those goals uh, against Everton, there weren't any really solo goals, you'd have to say. I mean, for Punchin's first goal, there was some fantastic work by Balassi down that right wing, got the ball into him. Balassi again for the second, fantastic corner. And then for the third, um, it was Punchin, some brilliant work down down that. I think it was the right-hand side again and, and knocked it into to Jerome to finish off. But yeah, I mean, three brilliant goals and sort of every time they were right when we needed them to be as well because obviously the first one was the first one the second one extended a bit of a lead and then we really needed that third one to to extend that cushion again um and that, so they all came at the at the perfect times and i think i want to talk a bit more about jerome because he's a player that couldn't score for toffee really you know for the first well for pretty much the whole time he's been here he had that chance uh, the other week where he missed from you know a couple of yards out hit the crossbar it's just so so good to see him finally getting on the score sheet. So, Patrick, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm very pleased for um, Jerome. Last week, I predicted he would score a 40-yard goal. So, it was a little <laughs> closer than that. Yeah. But he, he, he works so hard. I mean, he, the work that he puts in is absolutely ridiculous. And if anybody's heard the goal, he did. And the technique on that third goal that he 
that he was so nice. He took a great first touch with his with his with the right foot, t- turned his body, curved it, and it was such a nicely taken goal. And again, he really deserves it. I'm really, really pleased for him, and I really hope he can go on to score a couple more before the end of the season because if anybody deserves it for the work that he puts in, that really goes unnoticed, and he took, takes a lot of stick also. Jerome's one, he definitely deserves more. Mm, yeah, and Punchin's testament to the whole confidence thing. You know, He's shown that when you get one, you can just keep on scoring. So hopefully... In Jerome's case, that that will happen as well. Obviously, they're, they're two very tough games, the next couple. But if he can if he can notch against one one of or both of Man City and Liverpool, who knows what will happen? Uh, Tony, I want to get your thoughts on on the goals, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, well taken goals. I thought you know Punches was classy. We said that. Um, Dan, you know, I'm hoping you can get more of these because it reminded me of sort of the the Popovich era where he used to come in and. With the, with the headed goal from set-piece. I mean, I've got to say as well, our set-pieces over the last couple of matches just, you know, have gone from complete drizzle to suddenly we look like we can score on, on every one. It's, it's been great. And if Dan, you know, Dan's, a, Dan's known for scoring headers um, from set-pieces, so hopefully next year we'll see more of that um, going forwards. And Jerome's goal, you know, it was an instinctive goal. You know, he turned his shot. And, you know, as, as long as Jerome doesn't have any time to think about it, he can finish. As soon as you give him more than a couple of seconds to think about it, that's when he tends to um, miss the goal completely. Mm. I want to talk about um, Scott Dans as well. I'll, I'll quickly go to you, Patrick, before I move on. Yeah, very quickly, going back to the point about set pieces. Um, I think we've got to give a lot of credit to the backroom staff, whether it's Jerry Francis or David Kemp, because I've been noticing of late that there's been a definite change in, obviously, the way we play, but just on, like you just said, on corner kicks, on free kicks, we actually work, you can tell we work on things, and it might have taken a month or two months for us to kind of get it together, but we have looked so much better on set pieces, and as you guys know, you know, the majority of goals are scored from set pieces, and we're not just kicking the ball, you know, with, with no purpose, we're actually having guys make moves and, and, you know, we're blocking guys off on runs and we're, we're, we're getting guys like Dan into the box for headers. It's, it's really, those guys deserve a lot of credit. Obviously, it goes to Pulis first, but i got to give credit to Francis and Ken because they're doing something during those sessions. And even Ben Garner and Keith Millen, something's really going on in the behind the scenes we have to give credit to. Mm, yeah, I'd agree. Um, on Dan's goal, um, obviously fantastic to see him score his first goal for Palace and he was so passionate as well in, in his celebrations, come right over to the Palace fans. Um, and especially, you know, with him being from Liverpool, it's, it's a massive goal for him to score. But you, you notice on corners, Dan and Delaney are always there, and, and really we rely on them for set pieces to, to get their head on it. And a lot of the times in the past, we've aimed the, the free kicks or the corners to, over to the back post to head back in, uh, whether that's to one of Dan and Delaney or, or to Jed Nack. And uh, as you say, Patrick, a minute ago, set pieces are something that, that we've looked really good at and that have really worked over the last few weeks. Um, but yeah, no, it's fantastic to see that, that finally that is working. I mean, earlier in the season, it, it always seemed to be Jed Nat was on the on the free kick and it got blazed over the bar or Balassi had a shot and it went over the bar. But yeah, it's, it's fantastic now that it's sort of coming together and you can tell that Palace work on him in the training ground. There was that one uh, the other week at home, uh, such a good move. And, and in the end, it was a penalty shout on Balassi. He wasn't given, but it's just uh, really nice to see, you know, some well-worked free kicks from Palace. Um, I'll move on a little bit and talk about uh, the Everton goals, really. Tom, have you got any comments in the chat room before I do move on to that? 
Um, no, just uh, to sort of echoing a lot of the points, really. Uh, the chat room seems to be the opinion that punching uh, could be worthy of a place, but something we've said before, that especially in the Premier League era now, that it's it's unfashionable for a player at Palace, a club like Palace, to uh, to go to the World Cup. So maybe if he can continues over the uh, the next year, we, we could see it, but not for now. Um, I think Squadiora and possibly Jedi will be the only Palace players we'll be seeing in Brazil this year. Um, but to even have two is a is a step up for us. So. Mm, yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't quite put my money on for the sixteen to one yet, but uh, it, it, it's nice to even have that discussion. You know, the, the the fact that we're talking about it as a outside possibility rather than a, don't be silly. I mean, we talked years ago about Klein making a future England squad, um, but now to actually talk about a player who's playing with us now, playing in the Premier League again, it just shows how far we've come in four years. Maybe in a couple of years, when you when we're in Europe, it'll be uh, a bit more likely. Don't yeah, you? yeah. When we're beating yeah, like, Benfica in, in the uh, in the final of the, of the Europa okay. League. Yeah. Right. Uh, we'll talk about Everton's two goals um, that got them back into the game at two separate points. Obviously, we don't want to be too negative. This is uh, aimed aimed to be quite a, a positive show. Obviously, you can't be too negative after six points in in two games this week. But um, one of them was really unlucky. Their second one obviously took a big deflection and, and just about squeezed through and, and Morales scored it. But their first one, I thought, was a little bit sloppy defensively um, in that Naismith got between Dan and Delaney um, and sort of squeezed it in. And I, I was a bit disappointed because at that point in the game, it looked like we could kill it because we had chances to, to get a third. And that 2-0 is at that sort of in the balance. If Everton get the next goal, then it's game on. But if Palace got it, then it's game over. And you know, and it saves us a lot of hassle, you know, for fans towards in twenty minutes of the game when hearts in your mouth. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a, a poor goal to concede. So, Patrick, I want to come to you. Yeah, um, on that first goal, um, Ward did cut out the first cross. So I think once they cut out the first cross, I think the defense kind of might have peeked over their shoulders or gone sleep a little bit. And then yeah. I thought honestly, Mariapa was caught a little ball watching when Baines headed the ball back into the middle to Naismith. So I, you know, you were definitely right on that, Delaney and. Uh, uh, Dan definitely didn't want, didn't see Snape sneak in the back post, but I've noticed that a lot about not to be negative or you know, but I've noticed that a lot about Mariapa on a few times. He's been caught a lot on on certain plays where he's either the the last man keeping a guy on side and or just watching the play as as things develop. So I mean, can't be too negative having won five in a row, but just want to throw that out there. Yeah, well, Mariapa is a player that again I wasn't too convinced by at the start. Well, when he started playing, but has really come on leaps and bounds, and I think has really made that that position his own now. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. it helps that Ward's able to go over to the other side. But Mariapa, we have to remember, isn't a right back. You know, by nature, he's a centre back. That's right. right, um, right. I was I was listening to a commentator the other day said that at one point, which I didn't realise, Arsene Wenger was was interested in signing Adrian Mariapa. So he's another player that wow. was highly rated, um, right. and and has really come on leaps and bounds in a Palace shirt which is brilliant to, to see. Now, Tony, you said in your pre-show notes that you can't really remember their goals um, because you were buzzing and a little bit drunk, but uh, you said that <laughs> you also said that you, you, never, you never thought Everton were going to get back into the game. Well, <laughs> well yeah. Um, we, we were watching it in a, in a, in a beer garden, and uh, the atmosphere was just, was just immense. It really was. It, was. it was, you know, the atmosphere in the game was almost radiating out into the pub it was brilliant um but yeah the first i think when the first goal went in uh, we were all sort of thinking we don't really care you know we weren't expecting to get any points from this game um you know we were two nil up so we thought well they're not going to score three so we'll at least get a point out of this game um uh you know we thought we were pretty much safe anyway so there was sort of this resounding oh they got a goal never mind you know we're still celebrating it's party um 
And then, um, then obviously Jerome got his goal, and it just all erupted again. Um, and then after the second one, the the atmosphere was like, yeah, this would be typical Palace now, just to to go to go two goals in front, let in another goal, and then you watch they'll score again. And um, but you know they played well. They 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 saw out the game in the end. Um, you know, I I think most of us thinking about before the game would have taken a draw before the match. You know, a, a team that's won seven on the bounce or haven't haven't lost in, um, at Goodison Park for a very long time. You know, we would have preferred to play the original match when you know Lukaku wasn't playing and you know they they had like, quite a few injuries. But you know, the Palace came out and surprised everyone. I think. Um, but yeah, I think. I think at the time I, I, I just didn't care. You know, we were two new up. You know, and then even even when they scored their first one, we then get, went again two goals up. And then when they scored their last one, it was like, well, we've hopefully got something out of this game. And it's been a great game and a great performance. And I think that was the most important thing is the fact that, you know, we played so well in that match. And yeah, it would have been gutting if they'd got an equaliser, but it would have really shown that we've come a long way and we belong in this division. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, your point just a second ago about having rather played the game, you know, in February when the original fixture was due. I agree with you at the time, but, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And looking back now, I think, uh, you know, we played them at the perfect time in the rearranged fixture because we came into it on the back of three wins, you know, and the form wasn't that good a couple of months ago. So I, I personally think that we played them at the perfect time, you know, this week and it, and it worked brilliantly, to be honest. Um, Tom, I want to come to you, first of all, for for your thoughts on, on the Everton goals and, and how sloppy they were uh, and then some comments from, from Twitter and the chat room if you've got any Yeah, so I personally thought the goals were I mean the second goal was a bit unlucky wasn't it it took that deflection off of oh, whose leg was it I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head um, so there, it was unlucky in that sense and you know well worked by the Everton player to take advantage of the opportunity um, but the first goal yeah I thought, I thought that, was, that was quite sloppy um, we haven't conceded much recently and you could probably say they maybe got a little complacent although or a case of they were they had to be so switched on for the whole of the game because knowing how how good Everton are going forward um that a mistake like that is is, is possible um Tony Plews is a manager though I'm sure he sort of picked up on that and hopefully uh will have drilled it into the lads for not to make those same mistake again I guess it's it's nice to make that sort of mistake and not get punished by losing the three points that we managed to we managed to go forward and get that that third goal Mm. Um, but it's it, it's something to sort of have in the back of your mind. You know, you, you, don't, you don't want to see that happening often. So uh, nothing, nothing to get sort of press panic alarm on at the moment, but just something to keep an eye on. Um, and on that comment, actually, we had Gareth um, tweet into us sort of agreeing with that, that he's sort of concerned by it, but he's not angry at the fact that we, we conceded the goal. Um, and uh, we also had uh, Lil Mon- Monica. Uh, tweeting, talking about the uh, the actual postponement of the Everton game and saying that they believe uh, we did well out of the uh, match being postponed. For them, they were looking past us. They were just looking forward to uh, the bigger games in the future. And we were on fire in terms of form. So, yeah, as you say, hindsight is a, it's a remarkable thing. Mm, yeah, well, Everton especially, obviously, that their game, the rearranged game, has been slotted in just before Man United, which is a massive game for them. Obviously, that was, that was earlier this afternoon. Um, David Moyes coming back to uh, to Goodison Park for the first time and I think their eyes would have been firmly on that I'm not saying they weren't prepared enough for the Palace game obviously they were they're a top four side they're going to be prepared for for every game and Martin isn't going to let them go into a game half-hearted but you know in the back of their minds they're always thinking about Man United on Saturday especially when the Palace game you know wasn't wasn't always going to be there that wasn't you know when they looked at the fixture list at the start of the season there was a gap between between you know the last game and the Man United game and you just think you know potentially you know, was that a factor in, in the win? Obviously, we played fantastically well, and 
and you know you've got to give so much credit to, to Tony Pulis and the lads for, for winning that game because it was brilliant um, I want to talk about the last 15 minutes now obviously it was really really nervy you know being at the ground myself um, I haven't felt that nervous at a game you know at the time I was looking back to the Sheffield Wednesday game you know because I you know those three I was desperate for those three points you know because especially with all the travelling that we did you know as I mentioned earlier 33 hours you know to get to that game uh, to go 2 nil up you know, at that point, I just thought, "Wow, you know, this is fate that we've won this." I mean, um, we we just played so well, and to lose it would have been an absolute travesty. And then when it went two one, and then three two, I was really worried because it, it's typical Palace to get to that point and, and throw it away. So, um, Tony, were you? I know you mentioned it before. You said you weren't too worried about it. Well, as I said, because of the the, the atmosphere, and we were, you know, I think I think coming off the back of the week before against Villa, where we knew we were almost pretty much there. And we had West Ham coming up, and that was the game that was arguably going to be the one to almost keep us up from that point of view. Uh, this was going to be a bonus, and certainly the atmosphere I had in the pub was, you know, this is a bonus game. If we get anything out of this, it's just bonus points. We weren't expected to do it. And I know you mentioned about hindsight, but you know, if we if we had lost that game, then we would have said, oh, we should have played them back in in February. That would have been the better time to play them. But you know, it was it. I, there was a bit of nerves. I'm not going to lie. There was there was the still, you know, we we are winning. You know, we could still win this. So. I'm not going to say that we were just sort of saying, yeah, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. But, you know, we, I wasn't as nervous as, as other games where, you know, it's like 1-0 and that's it. Because we had scored quite a few and we know that we, we were on form as well. Uh, it wasn't as nervy as, say, you know, the last 10-15 um, against Chelsea or against Aston Villa. Um, but, you know, a draw would have been a very good result and you know when it got to sort of the 94th you know 93rd 94th you thought well they're not necessarily going to score two goals so we probably secured the points here I mean there was a lot of a lot of added time in that match six minutes but because of the collisions with um, Mariapa and and Spironi and then Mariapa wearing his Lone Ranger mask against West Ham so he obviously did some damage there you know Mm. there was a lot of added time but you could argue that it was just Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of... Uh, you know, I, I pause then, because you finished your sentence with the word just, and I thought you were going to say more, and then I worked out that actually there was a full stop after that just. Uh, I think one of, one of the reasons I was so nervy, I have to admit, I put a p- pretty hefty bet on in December um, of, oh, for Palace, Palace, to, I know, Palace to finish uh, the top of the promoted sides at 12-1. Just because of the match, nothing to yeah, do. Know, that is, so that's uh, I was celebrating Arsenal's win against Hull earlier as well because now there's a seven-point gap between the two sides and and that money's a little bit closer to my pocket. But um, Patrick, talking uh, about that, just to interrupt briefly, yeah. quite funny. There was a guy, there was a guy in the pub who was absolutely gutted because he put a bet on um, Palace and Sunderland to score, Palace and Sunderland to win, and he put down two pounds, and it was. Uh, a, uh, a win back of five hundred and seventy pounds. Wow, so close! And of course, Ridiculous. Sunderland. <laughs> of right. course, Man City equalised with two minutes to go. Yeah. He was gutted. Man. I saw. I saw a similar bet. Wasn't it? Someone had a punch to score first. Palace to win three-one. That's the odds in odds in the five hundred. I think or something like that. So it's a uh, yeah. So like almost there. these bets down. <laughs> Patrick, I want to come to you um, about. You know, being at two one and three two, and you said that we kept our composure for both of those times. Yeah, yeah. You made the point of you know being up two 0 and then being up three one, three one is a big is a big difference. And every time I thought that you know maybe the same old Palace might stick their heads out and do something wrong, we always found a way 
to get that, that extra goal. But so even at 3-2, admittedly, I was nervous 15 minutes left in the game, but I always had a feeling that we'd find a way. We've been so much better defensively um, when, we, when we really had to. Like I said before, my point about Jules, whenever we needed to make a big save, we've always had it. And even in that match, Morales, that chance at the end, when I really thought maybe they call a penalty kick against Palace because that's the way it goes for Palace. They didn't even call that, 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 yeah. that penalty. So I always felt like, you know, we're going to hold on, we're going to hold on. So I was nervous like everybody else, but I knew we'd, we'd find a way to keep, get that win. So mm. Yeah, my next little question is on and tweet us in at HOR Radio. Is were we destined to um, and we've spoken about all the factors before, but you know, w- were we really sort of deserving of, of those three points because of what we'd been through as supporters and as a team to get up there? I mean, Pulis has done a fantastic job, and we and we deserved it. But I saw actually, um, obviously, Chris Hamlin made the point uh, that we were going to beat Everton. We had a tweet in about it as well, uh, you know, calling him psychic, um, and also saw another tweet saying that it's one of the biggest and most historic results in recent years. So, Tony, would you agree with that? Uh, personally, no. Right. I think I think personally the Chelsea was a bigger win. Um, that, that's that's just my opinion, um, and uh, I'm still I'm still going to stick with my guns and say I think we'll get something out of the Liverpool game, and I think that'll be more historic because that potentially could scupper Liverpool's um, uh, Premier League win. Um, but obviously that all depends on next week, and we're not talking about those matches. But no, I mean you you talked about destined. Uh, you could argue that, you know, from a fairy tales perspective, you, you know, we were destined to win that. But you'd argue for it being a Palace fan that we weren't destined to win that. Being a Palace fan over the years, you sort of realised that, you, you know, we we were going to equal a record of four wins in the top flight, you know, in the Premier League. And therefore, arguably, as Palace, we were destined to lose that match because we never break records or do anything like that. We never do what we're supposed to do. So, but then again, in saying that, if we never do what we're supposed to do, we weren't supposed to win that match. So therefore, winning it was destined. So I've confused myself. I'm, I'm going to let you carry on speaking. Now. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what you just said. We'll, uh, we'll move on. Um, yeah, one, one last point. Well, actually, a couple of points. We'll talk really briefly about the atmosphere uh, and then we'll sort of give our own men of the match and then we'll move on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, uh, we will move on quite quickly, but the atmosphere, uh, obviously being in the stadium is absolutely brilliant and one of the best atmospheres I've been, been at this season. Um, and obviously a few of you guys, well, all of you guys watched it on telly. So, uh, Patrick, I'll come to you first over in the States. What was the atmosphere like on telly? It always comes across great over here. Um, NBC Sports has a great job either with the microphones or just focusing on Palace fans in general. So you can always hear them singing in the background. It sounds really great. And what I really love to see in the atmosphere was the way every time we scored a goal, um, second half going towards um, our fans that, 
the first goal, second goal, Dan ran over right in front of our fans and celebrated, and so did Jerome. So, and that came across really well. So it was really nice to see that. And again, the singing always comes across really well over here. Um, we hear every song. Um, some of them make me laugh because they're very funny, um, very creative. And uh, it, it's a great atmosphere at every Palace match, and everybody makes sure that they, they say it when they're commentating. Mm, no, I'd agree. Um, and then, Tom, I'll come to you really quickly uh, about that as well. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've been discussing in the chat room. I mean, we've said it in previous... Sorry, it's distracted there by weird noise. Um, we've said it in previous weeks, uh, we, we're getting lots of plaudits and lots of recognition for how good our fan base is. Um, but Everton, on their forums and in uh, sort of casual conversation to friends of some of the guys in our chat room, they, they've been singing our praises for how well we were supported. Um, as you say, you could hear us singing clearly throughout um, just non-stop even when we conceded you know our heads didn't drop as a fans they just just kept on sounds very sort of self-aggrandizing this but it, it it's it's how we are as a fan base it's how in terms of just vocal passionate support and it, yeah, it came across really really well okay and then moving on to well actually yeah go on tony you give your quick point on that I'm just hoping it continues, to be fair. I mean, I, I don't want us to get this delusion that just because we're now an established premiership team that this is, this should stop. You know, we need to continue this. I mean, the, the only reason why the atmosphere was so good in the pub was because, as Patrick quite rightly said, you know, you could hear the song. So we were joining in with the crowd. And that's why it was it was brilliant from that point of view. So uh, hopefully this, this will continue into next season. And, you know, from what I've heard from, you know, um, the the club, you know, the season ticket sales have gone really, really well, uh, renewals wise. So you'd hope that the same fans that have helped create a big atmosphere at Sellhurst will continue to build the same atmosphere next year. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. But you know, it needs, this, 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 we need we need to continue this, and and that that needs to be our thing. Palace are loud. We are the loudest fans. We're the most fun, and you know, continue that because we don't want to suddenly become this boring Premiership team like you know some of the other clubs have. Mm, okay, uh, and then final point on on the Everton game. Um, we've we've run over a little bit on this, so just really quickly, you know, one sentence or just even in the name if you fancy it. But I want to talk about man of the match, um, and I think there's there's one player that really stood out um, for a lot of us looking at your pre pre match notes. So Patrick, who was your man of the match? Yeah, for me it had to be Yannick Balassi. Um He played so well in the first half. He created that first goal. He had that shot to hit the post that Jerome just missed a rebound on, and he had that shot over the bar. And he just in general. He was uh, a problem for Everton, and uh, definitely give it to Yannick. Okay, and Tony? Uh, Florian Marange. Right, okay. <laughs> Great That's performance, fun. I thought, definitely. No, I, th- I think I think Balassi as well, to be fair. Okay, and then Tom? Free out for a yellow. He was an absolute beast in that game. Um, there was a moment in the half-an-hour mark where he was just sort of standing on the edge of the box, just feigning, and the defenders had no idea what to do. Just loved it. Mm. Really good. Yeah. We'll make that a full house as well, because I'm going to say Yannick Balassi. And, uh, and we'll move on from that. So that's the end of our Everton chat. And in a couple of minutes, we will be speaking to a, a very special and very secret guest uh, on the show. But uh, we're going to move on now to Spygate. Um, which I suppose is, is the most negative we're going to get on the show tonight. And I don't want to dwell on it too much because I do think that both the stories in the first in the Sun with the Cardiff game and now in the Daily Mirror with the Aston Villa game are a little rubbish. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's been in the national news, so it's our duty as a Palace radio show to mention these things. Um, so as it stands, the Cardiff complaint 
uh, is with the Premier League um, and the letter from Cardiff Lawyers to the Premier League uh, states, and I'll just quote a little bit of it here. It says, our client believes that the result from the match should not be allowed to stand and given the impact such a reversal would have on the league positions of many teams, the Premier League will no doubt wish to deal with this expeditiously. Um, so essentially they want they want the game to either be replayed or, or you know, for our three points to be taken away, which I think is harsh um, because... You know, and I mean, I've I've seen a lot of comments from non-Palace fans as well. You know, either famous people on Twitter or just other fans on Twitter. And you know, this happens all the time. You know, you're meant to you're meant to have done your research and and find out. You know, what a team's going to be. I mean, I probably could have called that Cardiff team. It's not like we found out their team. We've changed five or six players to to match that. We play the same team every week. You know, you know, give or take. Obviously, apart from injury. Um. So I just I think that it's uh, just smacks of, you know. Just trying to get one back and that disappointment and bitterness from Cardiff uh, with that one. And then the mirror thing that's come out in the last couple of days uh, that we know the uh, Aston Villa side is is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's Dave Kidd in the mirror. I personally don't think he's a very good journalist. Um, and I think that they've sort of made the story out of nothing. And um, yeah, it's just it's just not very accurate. And I'm not a fan of it at all. Tony. Uh, I would like to start by just saying that uh, my personal view is not necessarily the view of Homesdale Radio, but, you know, what an idiot, seriously. This is this is getting beyond a joke, in my opinion, because, you know, to even think about, oh, points deduction, well, what about Sunderland for fielding an uh, illegible player? You know, it's uh, an illegible, sorry, a legal player, should I say. Uh, but you know, this is this is getting. It's it almost smacks the sort of like you know unfair. Like oh wait a minute, Palace. You know this team that everyone thought were going to go down. You know it's not fair that they're winning. So what can we do to scupper them? Because there's obvious they're obviously cheating in some way. That's the only reason that can um, be that they're they're they've gone on this run. And I, I just I just think it's ridiculous in my personal opinion. Mm, I'm going to stick my neck out as well and say that there's not point not 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 one percent chance of us getting a points deduction, especially when you look at uh, the Sunderland thing. As you said, they just got a slap on the wrist, um, and what they did was a lot worse than what we did. And I mean, go on, go on, Tom. I was going to say, isn't the only history, uh, so the only evidence of a Premier League points deduction, not not top flight Premier League, was uh, when Pompey went into administration. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the only time ever. So I think the chance of this, as you say, are very unlikely. Mm. Uh, and then Patrick, I'll get your thoughts on that, and then we'll move on. Well, I'm going to be positive. Um, the old palace would it would be a problem for us, but there's no way um, any of this stuff is going to come to anything negative for us. So I'm not even going to give it, um, you know, any time. I think it's a ridiculous claim by both Cardiff and the Villa when I read that this morning. That was even more ridiculous. And like I said, there's 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 no basis for it. It's just sour grapes because we're Palace and we're staying up. Yeah, exactly right. Go on. Maintain the positivity. I'd like to say just to re-echo my point, which is that. The only reason this is happening is because we're playing so well that they think that it's the only reason that we we would be winning is because they think we're cheating. We're playing that well. It's so good at the moment. It just can't it can't be true. I mean, I've got to pinch myself sometimes to look at the um, table and the results that are going. So, well, I mean, to be honest, just to finish um, with a big two fingers up to everyone who's, who's saying these things. We're eleventh in the table at the moment. Take those three points away from us. We're eleventh in the table, um, <laughs> which I think sums it up. Now we're gonna Enough move said. on. Exactly. We're going to move on. We, uh, as Homestead Radio, I mean, I won't say too much about it, but essentially, we, we've uh, we've had a chat with um, a special guest. Check out our blog www.wholeradio.net/blog. Like the radio show, but it's a blog. 
Following the Cardiff Spygate claims in national newspapers last week, the Daily Mirror are now reporting that Palace were correctly prepared ahead of a vital game against Aston Villa. Homestar Radio decided to use our contacts at the club to find out more. Eventually, we were told we could have a clandestine meeting with the man at the very top of the spying operation, a man so skilled in the arts of subterfuge and espionage that he lives a remarkable double life. We were unable to see him and were not given his real name. His code name was Deep Scott. We met Deep Scott in a dark and multi-story car park, and here is what we discovered. Hi, I'm Ben from Homestar Radio. You must be Deep Scott. Hey, lad. That I am. We've heard a lot in the press about the, uh, the use of spying at Crystal Palace, and we've been told you can tell us more. Well, Benny, my lad, this goes way deeper than you can possibly imagine. Cast your wee mind back to when CPFC 2010 took over. Haven't things gone suspiciously well? Well, yeah, they've been amazing, but, you know, we worked hard and... Aye, aye, we've worked hard all right, but in ways you can't possibly fathom. I can't say too much, but spying on other teams is the tip of the iceberg. The planning for our information network has been going on for years. Go on. We started with the appointment of an interim manager. Someone who'd be too pissed to notice what was going on around him. I was there from the very start of this. Pretty soon we got people in place and the manager was getting a little suspicious. The guys threw a game against Millwall just so it makes sense to get laid. I was a little nervous. Nobody should get easily beaten by Millwall. It was too obvious. But we got away with it. So, after we've appointed our first full-time manager, the process had begun, and you were involved? That's what I said. Pretty soon things started to go our way, but they went a little too well too quickly. We'd had to take our foot off the gas a number of times. Eventually we decided I needed to divert some attention away from myself, so I left the club and the area in my official capacity. I never really left at all, though. This is fascinating stuff, so then what happened? You're not leaving now, are you? <laughs> of course not, Ben. I never leave a job half done. <laughs> Get involved with the show. Email radio at homestyle.net or call us on 0208 1234 Homestyle Radio. Voices for Palace Watch. Faces for Crime Watch. Okay, welcome back. Hopefully uh, that's cleared up a few things uh, with regards to Spygate. Obviously, we've we spoken to our source there, uh, as, as mentioned that. Obviously, no idea who, who he was, um, you know, and what went on. But, yeah, we, we found out, to the best of our ability, what happened there um, with our interview in, in the darkened car park. But we'll, uh, we'll move on now to talk about the West Ham game, of course. Um, that, that was yesterday, and it's another win, which confirmed our, our six points for the week, which was fantastic. And... Um, while confirming our six points, also confirmed our presence in the Premier League next season, uh, which was brilliant. Um, now, first of all, I want to take a couple of minutes out just to talk about um, a tragedy, really. We, we spoke before about Hillsborough and, and what happened at the start of the Everton game. Um, and something similar happened at the start of the West Ham game. Obviously, Dylan Tombides, um, a young West Ham player, uh, died after a three-year battle with te- testicular cancer. Sorry, uh, They've retired the number 38 shirt, which is obviously a nice touch by West Ham. And they thanked us as well for our support of the game. Um, obviously, we clapped at the start. We clapped through the 38th minute. Um, but, yeah, obviously, it was, it's a tragic thing. And, and uh, Tony, I know you haven't got too much to say, but if you'd like to just extend that slightly. I mean, um, uh, sorry to say, I, I didn't know who the guy was. But, um, you know, to have a three-year battle with cancer is... is is tragic and obviously to, to lose that battle as well I think it's, it's classy of West Ham to to retire the shirt and uh, you know from, from what I've been told the support was was great and 
it, it just shows that football can have you know very good support and you know we're all people at the end of the day we're all fans and we all like watching football so you know it's 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 good that we can all unite um and support other clubs and you know, when these bad things happen okay and patrick your thoughts quickly on that um it's obviously a, a, a tragedy and i heard david gold interviewed and he mentioned that how much west ham has been touched by you know cancer with the bobby moore um bowel cancer and they have a whole fund set up for for that the awareness of uh, cancer and um just also, um, it seemed to me that the West Ham players were very emotionally uh, touched by what happened. And I think it really kind of was part of the early part of the, of, of the game. It was interesting, like I said, how they seemed to, you know, be caught up in it. And obviously, as a, you know, anybody would have been. So, yeah. Okay. There you go. And obviously, our, our thoughts are with uh, Dylan's family. And, and obviously, it's a very sad time for them. But, um, yeah, we'll move on now uh, to the game. Um, one change for, for Palace KG back in for Shamak so back to the, the team previous to Everton uh, KG recovered from his from his injury uh, and Shamak wasn't even on the bench so you'd have to assume that that was uh, an injury um, you know he was struggling a little bit but my question to you um, and I'll start off with, with you Tom uh, you know had that injury not occurred to Shamak do you think he would have, have started and KG would have lost his place in the, in the side after the Everton game? Uh, yeah I think uh, Shamak would have started the game uh, opposed to KG although as the game went on having that extra defensive unit or someone in KG's mould um, it certainly suited us better um, the way West Ham played that game they had a lot of possession a lot of, a lot of shots I think it, maybe that occasionally would have been a more, more sort of KG type game rather than a, a Shamak one but I think as Tony Pusa said before if someone's doing well uh, and playing well it's very difficult for them to be dropped so I think if Shamak had come in and played as well as he did on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night, yeah, I think I think he would have probably kept it with a Shamak in the squad. Okay, Patrick, if KG and Shamak were both fit, who would you start? I would have started KG, and I think Pulis might have also because I think he's the kind of person who believes that you don't mess with a winning lineup, and as we had won previously with KG, and I just think we set up better versus West Ham with, as was just mentioned, with KG because of the way they play. We needed a, a little stronger defensive player in there I think that having KG was better I also again I thought Ledley yesterday um, playing where he played needed to be a little bit deeper because he seemed to play better next to Jedi but when he plays a little bit you know plays behind Jerome he seemed to get a little lost sometimes um, so I think he definitely would have started KG or I would have started KG if I had the choice even though again as I've already said in the past you've got to play Shamak um, somewhere okay. we play with 12 <laughs> well, I can certainly put a little claim into the Premier League if you can. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tony, your thoughts on that starting lineup, mate? Yeah, I mean, I can understand. Um, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that Shamak must have been injured. I mean, as you said, he wasn't on the bench. Um, but, you know, last time we played West Ham, Shamak scored. So, um, you know, he. You want, you want players that have played for other clubs. He had a, you know, he would have had a point to prove again. Um, we would have been a bit more attacking. Um, you know, the game was pretty end to end. But you know, I can understand why KG worked um, because it needed some physicality to the game. Because you know, it's an Allardyce team, and Allardyce teams tend to be physical. So, um, but at the end of the day, we, we we won. You know, and you know, as you said, in hindsight, it worked. Um, if we had lost, then people would have um, pointed fingers and said that's the reason. Okay. Um, talking tactics, you, you mentioned about how West Ham are, are a big, you know, they're a strong physical side and, and they were certainly that yesterday. Um, but I thought we dealt with them 
perfectly tactically. Um, obviously, their main game plan is hoof the ball up to Andy Carroll and, and hope, he can, hope he can do something with it. I have to say as well, Andy Carroll does go down easily for a big lad. Um, but I thought we, we dealt with him perfectly and Dan and Delaney once again showed their partnership is brilliant. Um, now, Tony, you mentioned about Allardyce's comments. Yeah, um, it was a nice comment from Allardyce. Um, he actually said that he uh, Palace uh, are the best defensive team in the Premier League this season since Pulis has taken over. And it's difficult to disagree with that. Um, you know, the teams up the top, um, you know, Man City and Liverpool have, have looked vulnerable. I mean, you know, Sunderland scored two against City the other day. Liverpool, you know, they, they just score more than they can see. That's, that's been their plan for most of the season. So, you know, the only team you could say that it, Chelsea, but even Chelsea. So I'd say, yeah, we, we are a very, very good defensive unit now because of Pulis. He's made us that way. And it was good that, you know, another manager has acknowledged that. And, you know, to say we are the best defensive team is, is even nicer. And again, just showing the plaudits that we are getting. I think it also helped that, you know, we, we knew the West Ham team beforehand. Um, due to, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say that, should I? <laughs> <laughs> um, Patrick, you, you agreed that we were set up perfectly. Uh, actually, I want to just get that, the point about Allardyce made. Um, some quick stats. I just took a quick look at the 11 wins we've had under Pulis. Mm. For those 11 wins, we've won seven games 1 0. We've won one game 2 0. We've won one game 3 0. And we won the 3 2 Everton game and 3 1 West Brom game. So it speaks to the fact that we have been tremendously good um, defensively. Um, under Pulis, because by my count, that would be nine clean sheets out of 11 wins, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, phenomenal. I mean, we're just set up so strong at the back now, you know, with Dan and Delaney completely making that, that partnership, you know, theirs. But you'd have to say Gabadon came on, we'll talk about that later in, in the show, but Gabadon came in, slotted in between Dan and Delaney, and it worked perfectly as well for the last few minutes. Right. Tom? Sorry, yeah. Um, so we've had some tweets in on this issue. Uh, we had a tweet from Andrew Marty Niuk saying that he believed uh, KG had a great game and he's an underrated player. As we said before, he's uh, definitely a target for some of the people's uh, first when he's playing badly. You know, sort of a, a, a scapegoat. I nearly said I nearly said escaped goat again. That would have been very <laughs> bad. Um, and we also had some comments in the chat room saying uh, uh, the opposite point. Uh, Dweeb thinks we are more likely to score when Sham is in the team than when he isn't. Brilliant. Okay. Um, yeah, I do think that KG is an escaped goat at some point. When, <laughs> when, we're, when we're not playing well, he does get a lot of blame. Um, but you know, I've seen I've seen articles, whether they're true or not, that. That, you know, there's other Premier League teams looking at him. Newcastle, one mentioned that they, you know, they, they're going to inquire about him in the summer. So, you know, he, he's one player that has had a lot of stick, but will probably do well to keep hold of him in the summer. To be honest. Um, now there are a few early penalty shouts, so I want to just um, get over to those now. I thought the referee was spot on with every penalty claim in that game. Uh, there were three that I can remember. Uh, Carroll went down quite easily, no pen, and I mentioned at the start of the review that for a big lad he does go down easily you know with with the slightest of touches and I think referees know that and you know it's it's the same with with Suarez and people like that Ashley Young you know referees you know the referees read the papers they know what happens um and if people think they go down easily even if it's not at the front of their mind they know you know deep down that that player does and they're probably less inclined to give the the decision and Andy Carroll's one of those goes down quite easily I don't think it was a penalty at all um and then the Nolan handball, I personally thought it was it would have been harsh if it had been given. Um, it was very sort of near to his shoulder, upper arm. Um, but, you know, after seeing 
10 replays it's, it's difficult to know if it if it should count as a, a as a penalty or not um and then the one that was given of course um definitely a penalty Jerome cut inside and Armero kicked his ankle or his like shin around that area um but yeah I, I agree that the two that weren't given weren't and the one that was given was so uh, Tony what are your thoughts well if I'm honest with you I missed the first part of the um the game when those okay, Patrick, what done, so I can't really help. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I agree. Cal went down way too easily um, on that first shout, and the other one was kind of, um, I wouldn't say that was a handball. But just getting back to the referee, you know who the referee, Martin Atkinson, that's my favorite referee. Oh, really? He's the one from the playoff final, and he gave us the penalty when Zaha went down. So I yeah. didn't think it was a chance West Ham was going to get a penalty against us yesterday. So. I was always confident that there was no way we'd have to worry about that with, with him as the referee, which is very rare for me to compliment referee, but I just did. Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of, of times this season where we've wanted to compliment the referee <laughs> because they've been, in general, awful, Four. to be honest. Yeah. 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 Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on the, the penalty shouts? Uh, I think Owen was was a penalty. It, it's funny as Allardyce had that comment in midweek about saying that oh he should be making the referee's mind up himself when uh, the West Ham player didn't go down. And uh, you could argue that Yannick made the most of the sorry no, or made the most of the contact uh, for the decision. Uh, yeah, it was inside the box. It was a silly move. It was a penalty. It, it wasn't you know sort of you know hacking the guy up in the air or sort of kicking someone in the face kind of penalty. But it was a penalty. Um, Dweeb in the chat room seems to think that it was a bit of a soft one actually and it, it shouldn't have been given um, and he thought Atkinson is one of the better refs so he was surprised he gave it um, but we've also had uh, Paul on Twitter say that Andy Carroll is a moaning git um, regarding his penalty appeal um, yeah. he's a player that I, don't, I personally don't think we should be taking to the World Cup I don't think he's good enough um, he's no yeah and I think there's better players <coughs> punching that could take his place there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, there was a, a lot of early pressure from West Ham. Uh, moving on slightly, most notably about 10 million crosses in the first 20 minutes or so. I mean, we dealt with them well, but I thought if anybody was going to score in the first half an hour, you know, you could even extend that to the first half. I thought it would have been them. Um, but Tony didn't think they were very clinical. No, no, I didn't. I mean, <clears throat> it was. Um, I've seen it quite a lot this season, actually. Teams, you know, we do concede a lot of possession. I mean, uh, you know, I don't. I, I can't think of a match this year that we've had more than forty percent possession. Um, very little. I mean, uh, you, you look at the uh, the Everton match. You know, we had thirty-one percent of the possession. You look at the West Ham match, thirty-four. But even even though the other team have all the possession, uh, they don't look like doing too much with it. And that's that's a nice thing that we've. We've never. That's why I think a lot of the nerves aren't necessarily there where they have been in the past. Where, you know, oh my God, they've got the ball. You know, they they're quite. They're looking like they're going to get a goal out of it. But you know, I didn't. I was I was watching the game with um, with my other half's um, grandfather. He's a um, West Ham fan, and he just said, "Yeah, we, he said we've got the ball all the time, but we don't look like we're necessarily going to score." Uh, you know, we were defending very very well, and. You know, it just goes back to what Allardyce was saying about our defence. I mean, I, I just had a quick look online, and since Pulis has taken over, um, only Chelsea have conceded um, less goals than us. Uh, you know, we we are the second best defensive record in the Premier League, so it does stand up to that. And I think, I think that 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 shows it all. So yeah, I I, I didn't think they looked too clinical, and yeah, they didn't look like they had too much in it. Mm, that's the thing with Pat. I mean, I, I don't know the stats particularly well I mean 
you could probably look look back and find it reasonably easily. But I can't remember one time this season that we've had more possession than another team, and that's just the way we play. I mean, you, you can have twenty percent possession, whatever you know, and that we that has been the case at points in the season. But it's just the way that we play under Tony Pulis. We we sit back, we counter attack on the break. I mean, that is how we play, and it's working. So I don't think from looking at the stats you can you can sort of tell much from a Palace game because you know we might have less shots, we might have less possession, but. We could have been all over them, really. Um, now I want to move on to to our penalty. Um, I know we, we've talked about whether it was or wasn't a penalty, um, but the penalty itself. Um, do you think it was a surprise to see Jennak step up to take it? And I'll go to you, Patrick. I was quite surprised. Um, I had heard rumours, and I I didn't see the game obviously, but I know he took a penalty in the Australia friendly match, and I heard he scored, so I, I knew he could take one. The last I remember him taking one, didn't he take one um, in the uh, semi-final game a couple of years ago and missed I think mm, yeah, which yeah, is the Cardiff right, game yeah, so yeah, yeah I remember exactly, exactly so um, I was a little nervous but let me tell you something that was an absolutely brilliant penalty kick it really reminded me a lot of KP's from the playoff final and the funny thing was the goalie tried to put him off by pointing towards that side which goalies tend to do but he did not flinch he took it so well I wish he, take, I wish he would take his free kicks that well um, but it was an absolutely brilliant penalty kick, and I was shocked to see him take it. I thought Punchin might take it, but as a captain oh. should do, he stepped up and took it. I know, right? Exactly. Well, uh, uh, pre-Spurs. Pre-Spurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a great penalty kick. It really was. Okay, and Tom? Uh, yeah, on that one, I, I wasn't too surprised that the captain stood up. Um, if you think about it in context of the season, that was a game where three points would secure Premier League safety. Um, it was a it was a really big penalty, and you know to, to have the the ball stand up and say I'm going to take this one on my shoulder and actually do it. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Jedi for doing that. Our, our usual penalty taker Shimak, isn't it, or Glenn, mm. and uh, neither are on the pitch at that time. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. I can imagine Punchin still being a little nervy after the uh, the Tottenham game. Obviously, this is another London club, so it should be possibly fresh in his mind. Whether that makes a difference or not, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of pressure around that penalty and uh, to actually for Jedi to step up and go, yeah, I'm going to take this, sort of, you know, captain leading by example. And what a penalty it was. You know, <laughs> absolutely buried it. Yeah, definitely. Patrick, your thoughts on that? Real quick point. Um, you can see on TV a lot more. You can see at the ground. Um, Yannick wanted to take the penalty kick. He actually motioned over to someone for the ball. And I guess, you know, he's not one of the uh, designated penalty kick takers. So they probably looked at him and said, uh, that's okay. But I would have been funny if he had taken one. He, he needs a goal in the worst way. So uh, it would have been funny if he had taken it and buried it the way Jedi buried that one. So just a thought. Yeah, well, to be honest, when when the penalty, you know, when the when the player went down for the penalty and it was given, my initial thought was punching, you know, because he, he took the right. one earlier in the season. Um, and thinking about it, he, I think he would have scored, but uh, I can see why he didn't. He's on such a good run of form; he won't want to, you know, ruin well, that right. by, by by missing the penalty. Um, and Je- yeah, Jednak, as you say, stepped up, captain. He's scored some brilliant goals as well. I mean, his last goal was huge against Peter, but to you know, keep us in the playoffs and. I mean, it's 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 fantastic uh, to see him be able to step up like that and, and take it so confidently, um, which, which was really really nice to see. I had a tweet in just quickly. I read this out from Russ Hubbard. He says that Neville said on Sky this afternoon during the Everton game that possession means nothing. It's uh, shots and goals that count, and it was one nil enough said. So that sums it up quite nicely. Um, right, let's move on again to standout players. Um, obviously, it's one of those games again, as have been with the last five games. Um, every player on the pitch has, has 
play brilliantly and it's because of that um that, that we've got the win really um so you, you could go through from the, from the back line to the front line and, and pick out everybody to be honest i think julian Speroni made some great saves thought Balassi made some great runs jednak great leadership back four great solidity you could just go through like that um, you know throughout the whole team but tony who if you were to pick out standout players who would they be uh, i agree it's difficult to pick out we're finding this difficult every week really to pick out a standout player um I would just. I think the defence were just fantastic. Uh, I don't think they get enough. You know, man, the match always seems to go to either Speroni or, or to one of the forward players when we're playing well. And I, I just think that the the defence were were great, and I, all four of them um, across that back line, uh, all, all men of the match, if you like, um, because you know they didn't score again. Another clean sheet. They've kept quite a lot, and you know I, I give it to all of them. Okay, and Patrick, who you pick up? It's a great shout about the defense. I thought Dan and Delaney did a great job on Carroll, but I would actually give it to Jedi. Um, he um, has not played, had not played well early in the season, has been phenomenal the last, let's say, eight, nine, ten matches, and the penalty kick was so well taken. His leadership during the whole match was so well, I'd have to give it to Jedi. Okay, and then Tom, who would you pick out? Uh, personally, Jedi, yeah, he was spot on all game, you know, really marshalling the troops, step up and take that penalty. Just led by example did everything you'd expect a captain to do um, we've had some comments from the uh, the chat room uh, regarding who they thought their man of the match was so Rob CPFC is going with uh, Balassi and uh, we had another tweet in as well from uh, Peter Redmond also agreeing saying it was Balassi easy um, John Del Army says that he thinks Jedonak should be it because he showed great leadership in taking that penalty um, stepping up and dispatching it so well so yes a lot of, uh, lot of loving for Balassi this week Okay. Can I ask I'll a question you. regarding that penalty? Yeah, go on. So I'm, having, I'm, I'm just scanning through the lineup, and I'm just thinking, who else would take it? Personally, I'll, I wouldn't let Jerome take it or Balassi, just because you know, although they are forward-thinking players, you know, they, you, you never know what's going to happen. They, they could blast it up, and it was too important. Um, He's scored <clears> before <throat> this season, though, hasn't he, Cameron Jerome? Yeah, so, yeah, he has. He has, but it's just. I, I don't know. I mean, punching again. I think. I think because of the last penalty, and as you said, he's on great form. You don't want to ruin that great form with a penalty miss. You know, if he scores it, fantastic. But if he misses it, the 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 risk was just was. You know, you don't want to bring the confidence down. Obviously, you're not going to have. You you wouldn't necessarily have the defenders taking any of them. So, you know, Jed and Ledley. Ledley's the only one I was going to actually right. ask. Would you have let right. Ledley take it? He's the only other person in that team sheet that I look at, and I think he's the only possible one that I think. Yeah, he he could um he could do that. Yeah, I think with the experience of playing, you know, obviously with Cardiff and Celtic, I think he probably has taken a ton of penalties in the past. So I would think, and even for Wales, I'm sure he's taken a couple. So I would have thought if it wasn't Jedi or who just mentioned, I think Ledley would have been the obvious choice. I did have, okay. a, I did have a, um, a thought myself as well, is that Jednak hasn't actually scored this season. So it was, right. it was, nice, it was nice for him to, to get his first Premiership goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, I know you, you tweeted and asked for men of the match. So I'll give you a couple of minutes to, to round some of those up. But I'll, uh, I'll move on again with that Jednak thing. Um, obviously, I, I thought it was the right choice. <laughs> again, using hindsight because he scored it, obviously it was a great choice and a fantastic penalty. Confident. Um, but yeah, Jednak takes him for Australia. So, uh, as you say, he scored in that his first game as captain at the Den um, probably a, a couple of months ago now. Uh, scored that. So, um, you know, and I'm sure they practice him in training as well. I mean, everything that we see on the pitch would have been practiced time and time again. Um, 
And also, I don't think anyone's going to argue with Jednak. You know, he's a big lad. I certainly wouldn't be trying to take the ball <laughs> off him if Jednak wants to take the penalty. Jednak takes the penalty. Um, Tom, have you uh, got some tweets for us? Yeah, we've got a few tweets in. So uh, we've had Ben Fleury mention that he also thinks uh, Yannick should be the man of the match. Uh, Gary T123 is again messaging to us um, saying Jedi securing our Premier League status, got to be him. And uh, we've also had uh, Colin Squires on, on a slightly different point we were talking about earlier with the, uh, with the possession stuff. Um, he was saying how much of the possession is just passing across the back line uh, for the opposition, you know. So does, does, it really, does it really matter in the possession stats? And um, we had another tweet in earlier, I, I can't find the name of it, so I do apologise, um, talking about uh, Palace and the shots to goal ratio, um, pointing out that Jules' saves are almost as good as us having some shots in some instances. So we should really be taking that into consideration with our creation of chances. You know, neutralising the enemies in such a effective way. Okay. Um, well, Sorry, we'll going, off ta- going off tangent there. Sorry. That's all right. No worries. Um, we'll move on to about substitutions, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll sort of round the show up quite nicely, um, talking about how we are safe. Uh, so the substitutions that we made, Murray came on for Jerome in the 82nd, Gabadon for Punch in the 87th, uh, which was a nice touch. Obviously, Gabadon is ex-West Ham. Uh, and then Par for Blast in the 92nd. Um, I think it worked brilliantly. It really shut up shop. Um, substitutions a lot later than we normally see them, but I guess, uh, you know, one nil up, we don't need to make a change. We weren't really on, on the back foot. And when we did make the substitutions, they worked pretty well. So, um, Tony, I know you had a point about the, the timing of them. Yeah, I thought they were well-timed. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, we weren't necessarily under the cosh, so um, we weren't looking necessarily for a goal. So we, we, we didn't have to make any substitutions up until that point, you know, other than possibly tiredness. And I think, you know, it, quite often you do see that managers, if they've got a few subs left over and you're winning the match, you make the subs to, um, to, to break up the play uh, and waste some time, really. Um, and it was, it was, you know, it was, it was going to be tense towards the end. You know, we're one 0 up. If they score equalise, then it's going to be disappointing. So, you know, waste a bit of time towards the end. You know, bring the subs on. You know, you're going to lose a bit of time by bringing subs on. And yeah, it was well timed in my opinion. Okay, and Patrick, your thoughts on the substitutions? Yeah, this could be a Spygate issue because um, I'll be honest with you. I could predict not the time. I could predict every match that you're going to get Johnny Parr on at some point and Glenn Murray. So. Um, it's interesting how he does his subs because um, he always looks to take Jerome out, which I totally agree with, you know, to get, some, get him some rest because he runs so hard. He always gets Poirot on for either Punchin or, or Balassi to get them, a, you know, to tighten it up. And then the third one I really liked, again, Gabadon coming in for, you know, like he did against Hull when he brought um, McCarthy Paddy on that time. It's a brilliant move, again, especially with a team that's going to do one thing, get the ball wide and pump the ball into the box for the last 10, 15 minutes. So I thought his, his, as everything he's done so far... But, Pudis had it spot on yesterday. He was the subs are perfect. Yeah, you'd have to say as well. Um, obviously, Andy Carroll couldn't get through Dan Delaney. So if you bring on Cabadon and add a third centre back to that, playing <laughs> five at the back, not a chance. Andy Carroll's no going to get his head on the ball. Uh, so yeah, worked brilliantly well. Um, Tom, we'll come to you in just a second for uh, for four web reviews actually. But I'll just get your thoughts really quickly on the substitutions. Yeah, um, I think it was probably the right time to bring uh, defensive plays on when we did. Uh, the issue we had was uh, West, West Ham. The West Ham were looking for the goal, um, but I think they never really troubled us. I mean, I was listening to the game on a radio feed, and it was only that last free kick in the literal last minute of extra time um, that I was genuinely worried. I was I was quite calm and confident, which shows how again how far we've come to previous seasons having a hanging on to one nil leads and no fingernails left. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think the substitutes are right. Um, 
the guys in the chat room will have a little discussion about this. Um, and Andy A thinks that maybe we should brought Gale on instead of Murray. Um, you know, give him a bit of game time. Or we've been, uh, we've also got another, another guy in here. Thinks seems maybe we'd like to have brought in someone like a. Uh, Tom Ince and giving him a little bit of experience at just the end I mean I, I suppose you know 10 minutes how, how much time can you get is it a risk bringing someone on like that who's not really played that much for the team so yeah I mean gen- general consensus on the uh, on the, the, the social media seems to be that they were the right subs at the right time but some people would have preferred um, some more attacking changes can I make a point on those 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 points you've just made you certainly yep. can when you when you look at the subs you know I mean it's been mentioned obviously that Parr and Murray always seem to come on for Balassi and Jerome and I think when you when you sort of think about you know try and have a think and work out why rather than just you know random substitutions or like for like there there does seem to be a, a technical reason for it. Uh, Murray, as we know, is very good at holding up the ball. Um, he brings the ball down very well. He holds up the ball. He's not the fastest of players, and he doesn't run the channels necessarily in the same way Jerome does. But what he does do very well is you can lump the ball up to him. He will bring it down and he will slow the play down. So I think when you're looking to defend something, that's what he's very good at. Um, and Jerome's going to be knackered by that point as well. He's not going to do it as effectively. Now, with Par for Balassi, it's very good because Balassi does like to bomb forward. He's very good at it. But Par is very obviously very good defensively. And Par, you know, we've always said he's not necessarily the best, you know, left back. And but going forwards, he's very good. But he is more defensive than Balassi. He's almost like a well, you know, he's a more defensive version of Balassi on that left-hand side because he's not going to get forward as much as Balassi, but he's going to defend better. So there are reasons as to why those. And I think, you know, as you said, we wanted to secure those three points because that means that's it, we're done, we've got another season in the Premiership next year. I think we'll see the likes of people like Gale and um, Ince over the next three games that we've got left because I think you bring on someone like Gale... Um, in those last sort of 10 minutes, you, it shows that you're looking for a goal, but it doesn't give you much you know, relief when you are trying to basically defend for your lives and boot the ball out because he's not going to hold the ball up like, like Murray is. Um, and the same with Ince. Um, but I think in the next couple of games, you'll probably see a bit more of them. Mm. I would argue, though, that you can't uh, sort of gamble in the last few games. You've got to keep it reasonably tight because not only for my bet to finish above Hull and, and win me some money, <laughs> but... You know, every position you finish higher in the Premier League gets you, I think it's an extra half a million pounds, which is, uh, you know, a phenomenal amount of money. So if we were yeah, to finish 11th, want... it's much better than finish a few places it's below. More, it's yeah, more than that. You, you need to blood Gale in. I mean, Gale, you know, he, he's, he's not played regularly for a while. And we, we need to, if we're going to have him next season genuinely as one of our attacking options, we need to blood him in. Otherwise, there's, there's just there's just no point. I mean, he's going to get a good preseason behind him, but we need to we need to you know while we've got three games that we're safe and we know we're done. And yeah, I know there's there's money involved with it, but you know if we want to if we want to have a decent shot next year and know exactly our players and different systems. I'm not saying change it completely, but I think players like Gale and you know if we do stay up, there may be the potential to buy ins, and we need to blood these guys in and get them get them some game time and and show that you know while we haven't got any risk necessarily because we are we are up now. We're not going you know we're not going anywhere. Where we've got a whole season, so why not use these three games? Because we're not going to do it next season at the beginning. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, that's a great point. I'll be very interested to see how Pulis uh, approaches the last three games. He made the point of saying how, you know, we've got to do what's best for the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. But it'll be interesting to see, because our, from our standpoint as a club, we definitely, I agree, we have to get um, Gale um, on the field. We have to, you know, see what Inns can do, because... Are we going to try and buy in? So we're going to keep trying to get the price down by not playing him. I mean, what has been the strategy behind it? I understand that we're winning, so I'm not advocating changing the winning side, but I would like to see both of them get a chance to play. So 
I really want to see if he decides to change his whole thought process because he's really been perfect so far. So what's the next step? So we'll see especially, what happens next. Especially with two games where we're not necessarily expected to get anything. Exactly. Good mm. point. Okay, Tom, your thoughts on that on Gale uh, and Inch quickly and then we'll get some forward reviews from you. Tony Pulis has already said that they're going to try and sign Ince at the end of the season. Um, I guess a lot of that will be down to him and what other offers he has, whether he likes the idea of staying with Palace or he thinks he's going to get the opportunities. Um, his dad was on Match of the Day a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about how Tom was really enjoying his uh, time with the squad and you know happy to wait his turn um, and understanding the bigger picture and he'd really enjoy the atmosphere around the club. It, it could all be you know you know hyperbole and just talking around it, but. Uh, it's uh, it's something to to consider. I, I hope we do sign him. Gail, I, I disagree with Tony. I think with a good preseason behind him, hopefully he'll get his chance next year. Um, yes, it'd be nice to see him play more. Now we, we're really expecting to see him play more. I mean, he's our he's our record signing, so that's why people want to see him on the pitch. And we know he's got the ability to do it, um, as was shown recently in the under twenty ones game. But I, I think you know a good preseason. Let's see how it gets on with there. He's not really a Tony Pulis type player, and I know it's a horrible cliche to say now, as we've been proving that's been blown away again and again with what we've seen him do here compared to what how Stoke played. Um, but I, I don't know if it's the Tony Tony doesn't rate him or what. But yeah, a, a good preseason behind him, and you know, let him see what he can do in our in our, in our preseason games, and then hopefully he's going to be in a position where well, I've got to play him. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Shimak. We don't know what's going to happen with Jerome. I was just having a look at the uh, the contract situation for quite a few of our players. So we're going to be light on the forwards department. So um, yeah, I I, I think he's, he's tied for a long deal. Let's give him let's give him preseason and take it from there. Okay. All right. We'll get some forward reviews from you then. Yep. Okay. So we've got forward reviews. There seem to be a mixture today. I'm obviously having two games in a week. So um, let's start off with Daniel Opoko. He says, we're forever bursting bubbles, which I quite like. Uh, Paul Holland says, we are Premier League. Uh, Kissa Bailey has said, we are staying up. So along the similar, the similar lines. Uh, and then Paul Martin's written, never write Palace off. Uh, mm. And finally, a nice one here from Andy Camrose saying thank you, Tony Pulis, which is, I think, a sentiment that we all want to express, really. Yeah, there's some, some weird ones in there as well, I have to say. Um, Darren Chandler said, we're going to drink bubbles, which is uh, <laughs> good. Um, David Marshall said, Jason Punch and tiny legs. And, uh, <laughs> and Darren, <laughs> Darren Chandler again uh, has come in with, gotta love them aliens. Um so yes. the less said about that, the better, really. Yeah, um, I, I was I was drawing away from them, but you didn't. <laughs> I thought I'd uh, I thought I'd bring them up just to show uh, you know the, the broad range of listeners that we've got. Um, I, I do have another sort of point to touch on. I, I don't want to extend it too late for our listeners now. I mean, we we might come back to this in the future weeks. But looking down the uh, the list of players we've got, obviously we've got a fairly hefty squad at the moment. But you know now our Premier League survival is secured. I mean, who do we? Do we realistically see just off the top of our head? Who do we see going in the summer? Um, maybe being sold or being uh, loaned out to the end of their, their contract. But uh, we are we are a Premier League club now. That, that, that is confirmed. So we can start talking about next year and building on next year. So who do we think as a as a show? Do we think are oh, we going to be saying bye bye to? I mean names like Ramage. And uh, you know, uh, some of our younger defenders have been thrown around in the chat room, and mm. obviously we're uh, Aaron Wilbraham's obviously coming to the end of his contract. So um, I just 
maybe have a quick point on that. We can touch on it more next week, I guess. But yeah, well, tell you what, Tom. Why don't Why don't I name the player? And because uh, I've got a list, and you, you guys say whether you think. Hold on a minute. We, I don't want to go through the whole squad and do this. No, not Let's the just... whole squad. Just the guys. Just the low knees. There. We know that the t- first team and the team that have been going week in week out, they're staying. They're not going anywhere. I'm talking. I think what Tom's talking about is the low knees that we've got. There's only half a dozen or so of them. Not the young youngster ones, just the, the the guys whose contracts are basically coming up. I'll go. I'll go with you for a couple of minutes on this. <laughs> right. So if I if I mention if I mention a player, you say whether we should uh, keep them, loan them out, or or get rid. So I'll start with some really easy ones to go with. So um, Owen Garvin, get rid, get rid. Championship Peter- player, <laughs> Peter Ramage. Keep. I absolutely love him. Keep, but he's not going to stay. I yeah, love him he'll he'll be gone. I, I love, so much, so much, so much love for Rambo. But we yeah. sure I shouldn't say this if we're trying to try to speak to him. <laughs> head of the season. Yeah, Rambo. He's, 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 def- he's definitely staying. He's definitely staying. Yeah. I go. might get a tattoo of Peter Ramage. <laughs> nice. I love him. Do Next game, Hunt. Uh, okay. Keep. One for the future. He just got here. Okay. Yeah. Very injury prone. What are you saying? What's your answer, though? I uh, keep for now until but look for someone better okay next how's that companion mm, oh, I want him to stay right. but he's gone you reckon he's gone yeah he will stay I agree I agree I'd love to keep him but he's not going to come back likewise uh, I think he'll probably end up at Nuremberg which is my uh, my German club so good for them but bad for us okay next uh, Marion Schmack oh, uh, keep, keep 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 <laughs> next. I thought that oh, would be quite unanimous, that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so fringe players, we've got players like um, Lewis Price and Gary Alexander. Oh, uh, Alexander's rid. gone, and Lewis Price, mm, he's probably gone, yeah. Cameron then, hang, hang on, hang on. Just going back to that point, that we'd only have two keepers then, so one of them's got to stay. I think Lewis Price is one that potentially oh, could go you, out. You, you don't think there's a chance, yeah. is it Tom King? The, uh, the, oh yeah, yeah. natural. No, you're right. You're right. Okay. Um, potentially Speroni, Hennessy, and King then to stay. Wait, do we, we keep Speroni? Oh, never mind. Never conversation. Another day. <laughs> <laughs> keep Speroni, please. Cameron Jerome. Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. Right, we'll make that last one because that is a, yeah, a tough yeah, one. So. Personally, I like him. I wasn't a huge fan before, but I am now. I think he offers a lot to the team, regardless of the lack of goals he scores. Um, so I would keep him. Um, I agree. He offers a lot. He does things that other players cannot do, including not score goals. But um, for the right price, I would, I would, I'd buy him. Tom. Uh, yeah, I think if we could find someone in the same build as Cameron Jerome that does the work, who's a bit more potent, then we'd get them. But for the time being, he seems to be doing well. I'm not convinced about signing him full term yet. Okay, and we'd we'd obviously love to hear your views on on that as well. So get them in, and we'll we'll probably talk a bit about that next week. Um, now I just want to finish the show really quickly, talking a little bit about um, the fact that we're mathematically safe. Um, so I want to wax lyrical a bit about the job that Tony Pulis and the four owners have done since they come in. I mentioned at the top of the show uh, where we were four years ago, having twelve pros when when George Burley came in. You know, Sheffield Wednesday was do or die. Um, and even two years ago, we played West Ham in the Championship, and and now we're both mid-table Premier League side. So, my question to you boys is: Is there any limit to the dream? We saw Tony Pulis at Stoke take him to the Europa League and to Cup finals. How far can he take Crystal Palace, Patrick? 
Well, lads, I'm going to go back a bit. I've been a supporter for 40 years. That's 4-0. So I go back a long time. And this has this last two years has been the best two years I can remember. If you don't count 1989-1990, that time we got to the FA Cup final and then the ZDS Cup stuff. So how far can he take us? I think, honestly, the sky could be the limit. He has proven that this type of building of a team that no one expects he can do with Stoke, he likes the family atmosphere, he loves the catchment area, he gets, a good, gets along with the chairman, he's changed his quote-unquote style of play, In you know, we all thought there was a purist style, but we've proven now there is no purist style. Um, and I think, honestly, we can be a, dare I say it, top eight team under him if, if we go about it the right way. And I think we are. Okay, and Tony? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo a lot of that, but with, 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 there, there is a limit. Um, I don't think via the league, and I'll clarify that in a minute for obvious reasons, but via the league, I don't, I, we're not going to be a Champions League team, and I don't think we're even going to be flirting around there. I think Agree. You know, those, those teams, you know, those top six, seven teams, you know, yeah. the, the money and the revenue they've got, we, we, we can't match them. And, you know, we're never going to attract the sort of players. And when we do have the sort of player that's, that's good enough, they'll get taken by those teams. Um, so I don't think we're going to be a top seven team. I think, I think realistically, uh, and I know Parrish has mentioned about, you know, especially if we can expand um, the stadium, you know, owing the fact that, we, you know, we are now going to be another league season in the Premiership. I think why not? You know, we've proven this season, you know, if Pulis had stayed, we could be a, you know, definitely a top half, maybe even a top 10 and maybe flirting with trying to get a Europa League spot, you know, like Stoke did. A couple of good cut runs, you know, um, you know, why, why not? You know, we've got we've got the fan base, we've got the revenue, you know, we don't have any debt. Um, you know, we've got a good academy. You know, we definitely we could we could definitely be a top ten side. You know, with with a couple, we need to establish ourselves for at least another season or two to to really cement that because you know next season is going to be very tough. Um, you know, there's always that second season syndrome with a team that you know comes up, does very well, and then second season it all goes to pot. So let's hope we don't do that. I don't think we will personally, especially if Pulis does stay. Um, you know, clarifying um, the Europa thing, um, I don't know how many, I'm sure many um, listeners know that I can't remember if it's next season or the season after, but the, the winner of the Europa League um, automatically gets a spot in the Champions League. It's, it's actually going to be this way. year. Pardon? It's actually, after this, it's actually this year. The winner this year gets the Champions League spot. Oh, is it this year? I thought it was 2015. Yeah. But okay. No, I heard it was this year, yeah. Okay, well, that... that it, 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 Palace in the Champions League, that is the only way we are going to get into the Champions League. So, oh, Champions League oh winners God. 2017. Let's go for that. Come on. <laughs> and Tom, to finish off, is there a limit to the dream? Uh, no, I, I do think we have to be careful in some respects, not to be negative, but it's gone so well in such a short space of time. Football's a, f- a funny old game, to use the cliche, um, and it can change so quickly. So you've just got to enjoy the moments we're having now. But yeah, let's keep going. Let's push for as high as we can. You know, dare to dream, lads, dare to dream. And uh, I, I, I quite fancy a cheeky little cup run next year, you know. <laughs> league, league Cup, maybe, finalists, get get a Europa League spot, Hulk you know. I was going yeah. to say as well, nice, a nice point just to finish the show off. We've got a tweet in from Russ Hubbard, mentioned him earlier. He says, keep Pulis, invest wisely, and we're regulars in the Premier League, FA Cup contenders, and we can have Euro away days. Just believe, look where we were. So that sort of sums it up nicely. Um, I just want to thank you all for, for listening. Obviously, it's, thanks for bearing with us. It's been quite a long show tonight. If you're listening to this on the podcast, um, why not listen live next week? Um, 
this tonight was our final Sunday show of the year. Obviously, we're playing Sunday next week against City, and then Liverpool is the Monday the week after. So on the show next week on Monday from 8pm, we've got Chris, Nick, Tony and Tom. Good night. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.